Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I don't know if you picked up on the phrase in that song, Christ is holiness in me. When you come to know Jesus, you commit your life to him, things don't stay the same. He didn't come to warm you over. He came to give you new life, to make you a new creation. I'm going to confess to you that I wanted to call in sick today (laughs) because of this passage. Not that I'm afraid to cover the passage. I just know this isn't going to be one of those days that you're going to feel like, I really enjoyed that message. (laughs) But I will tell you that the truth needs to be told. People who hate the truth look at the truth as hate. And I mean no hate today. And if you hear that, you've misunderstood me. Because what I want you to see is that no matter where you are in life, God will forgive you. And God will transform you. But I also want you to know that sin is a big deal to God. He hates it. Now, Paul's writing to the Colossian churches, and there are a lot of false teachers coming in there saying, you know, all, all matter is evil. You can just do whatever you want to do with your body. It doesn't matter. And they, they took it to two extremes. Some of them punished it. Nobody really liked that one, but everybody else said, well, we can just do whatever we feel like doing. And then a lot of these people came out of pagan backgrounds, and you're going to see a lot of similarities to that in our country today. I want to read, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to go down through verse 7. We looked at verses 1 1 through 4 last Sunday. If then you were raised, and since you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, I pray that today you would open people's eyes to the seriousness of of growing in you and how sin hinders that, especially sexual sin. And so, Lord, I pray that today your spirit would would put truth where it needs to be put today and people would respond to you and to know that you still love them, 
that you will forgive them, that you will change their life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We sometimes used to sing that old hymn, What a Wonderful Change in My Life Has Been Wrought Since I Joined the Baptist Church. <laughs> no, since Jesus came into my heart, the way the song goes. And we know that when Jesus comes into your life, there is a transformation. And it begins up here, between your ears. We looked at that last week, how you set your mind on things above. Christ changes our heart. It begins by the heart and mind are all together. We give our heart and life to him. Someone wrote, the average man has 66 pounds of muscle, 40 pounds of bone, and three and a half pounds of brain, which seems to explain a lot of things. Being heavenly minded doesn't mean that we shirk our responsibility here on this earth. We're told to work. We're told to take care of our families. We're told to be good citizens, to contribute to society. And heavenly minded means that our affections and our desires, our actions, our attitudes all conform to the image of Christ. It means that we love the things that Jesus loves, that we think as Jesus thinks, that we act like Jesus would act in a certain situation. And we're in the process of growing and the reason we can do that is because we have been resurrected in him we died and resurrected in him the same power that raised Jesus from the dead it lives in us we have that same power and we know that one day we're going to share in the glory we're not going to take the glory but we're going to share in the glory that Jesus gets when he comes back because they're going people are going to know that we are his children but the transformation is possible because of the power that lives in us. And if our goal in life is becoming like Christ, that means that when you commit your life to him, God begins to conform you to the image of his son. And that means there's some radical change in your life. You don't keep doing what you used to do. Because the Holy Spirit now begins to make you into the man and woman that he wants you to be. And so Paul begins with the word, therefore. I've told you before, anytime you see the word, therefore, you ask, what is it there for? It means that Paul just said something and now he's about to put some truth or action behind what he just said. You have placed your life in Christ, therefore, and then he uses some of the most radical language you'll find in the scripture. He says, put to death your members on earth. When I first read that as a young pastor, there were a couple of members I wanted to put to death. <laughs> I'm just teasing. What in the world does he mean by that? He uses, um, it, it, it's a decisive it's a decisive resolution to put sin to death. We, he's not talking about being asceticism where they punish the body. He's saying it's time to put to death some members of the body. Now, he's using what's called a, a, a metonymy, which means you use one thing for another which is associated with it. We do that. Have you ever said, don't give me any of your lip? 
You can't tell me you didn't tell that to your children at least once. Well, you're using a metonymy. What you're saying is, I don't want the words that are fixing to come out of your lips, out of your mouth. Well, that's what Paul is saying here. You need to put to death some members on earth, and he means to kill all of this sexual sin. It's radical language. He could have easily said, control yourself. But instead, he used this shocking, radical language, kill your bodily parts when it comes to sexual immorality and greed. John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. The verb is strong. It suggests that you wipe them out completely, exterminate it. It's not something you lightly pass over. So, it's interesting that in this passage of Scripture, and we're not going to cover all of it today, but he starts with a list of personal sins. And then next week, we'll begin to look at some social sins. So, first, Jesus changes our personal life, and then he will change our life as we relate to other people. It's also interesting that in this first list, he starts with the ultimate action and goes all the way down to the motive. Immorality, the motive is greed. Start. But when it comes to the social sins, he starts with the attitude or the motive and leads up to the ultimate sin. Just if you ever had Bible trivia, you'll get that. But I want you to see what he's talking about. So, the, the first list relates to feelings, the second to speech, and so, and so forth. So let's talk about it. It's, it's very stout language. He says, first of all, we are to aggressively disconnect from sensual sin. Put it to death. Jesus taught that all sin begins on the thought level. In Mark 7, 20 to 23, did you know no one ever cheated on their spouse without first thinking about it? And if they had killed the thought, right then it would have never happened. So it begins in the mind. You can look godly on the outside but be entertaining lustful thoughts that no one else knows about. It's like tolerating cracks in a dam that holds back water. And if you don't take care of it sooner or later, the dam is going to break and cause a lot of damage. No one ever falls into sexual sin without thinking about it for a while. And we're told to connect spiritually We have a new life in Christ and we're supposed to connect that with our everyday life. You don't just come and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to save me so I won't go to hell. I've got my fire insurance, now I'm gonna go live my life. No, when Christ comes into your life, the Holy Spirit lives in you, you now connect that reality with your everyday life. But that old nature, that old nature's got some habits in it, doesn't it? I don't know how much an elephant weighs, but it'll break your scale for sure. Let's just say three tons, 6,000 pounds. You, You ever seen an elephant that's tied or chained to a stake in the ground? Now this elephant weighs thousands of pounds and can pull that stake out of the ground, but why, why is it 
Why is he staying there? Well, I'm not an elephant expert, but I've been told there's two reasons why. First of all, elephants really do have good memories. And second of all, they're not very smart. So when they're little, weighing 300 pounds, they chain them to a stake in the ground. And that little 300-pound elephant is try, keeps trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and can't pull it out of the ground and can't do it. And finally, the elephant memory kicks in. I can't pull it out of the ground. And now when they weigh five or 6,000 pounds, they think they can't pull it out, even though they have the power to do so. You, the people who had come to Christ had come out of sinful, sinful lifestyles. And the temptation is there because that stake's in the ground, but he's saying sin no longer has power over you because the Holy Spirit in you gives you the power to overcome it. You're not chained anymore. We're free in Christ. Freedom means I don't have to do this anymore. And so what does he name? Look at this list. The first word is immorality, or the word is pornea. That's the Greek word, pornea. Sounds like what? Pornography, doesn't it? Incidentally, did you know that a Barna group, Christian research group, in a recent survey found that 56% of people under the age of 25 say that it is wrong not to recycle. And yet that same group, only 32% think that viewing porn is wrong. Some seek it out monthly and some more often, at least half of those young people seek it out monthly. It's in the church. 21% of youth pastors, 14% of pastors Admit they currently struggle with using porn. Brandon Hayes, preaching the same passage in the venue right now, told me about an app that he has recommended to a lot of people. It's called, it's an app, you can get it on your phone. It's called Overcome Porn. It's, I don't know if it's free or it costs a dollar. I didn't go look but it's a 40-day plan to help people overcome that, and the temptation is scripturally based, and there's a day-by-day thing that you go through, and I highly recommend it. He highly recommends it. He said it's helped a lot of people, and so if you struggle with that, it's kind of a secret sin for a lot of people. If you struggle with that, download that app and start working through it. But I want to get back. The word pornea means any kind of sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman. So adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, incest, prostitution, bestiality, it's all there. And when you read Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5 and Ephesians 5, sexual sins always mentioned first. Why? 
Well, because it's so prevalent, but also did you know that when, when after Christ came and began to change people's lives, it was such a radical, revolutionary concept in Paul's culture for this to be said because they came out of paganism and the pagans not only thought sex outside of marriage was okay, they implicated it in their worship and in all the temples. They thought there's nothing wrong with this. And a second reason is because no, now listen carefully, no sin jeopardizes the process of growing in Christ or sanctification like sexual sin. We want to have our affections, our attitudes, and our actions transformed to the image of Christ. Sexual sin dwarfs that, thwarts it. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now, how much more plain can you put it than that? Why does immorality destroy the process of Christian growth well, it's not an easy answer but because some people think that's just some physical function like eating or drinking. It's no big deal. But there's something about sexual sin that reaches into the innermost being of a person and holds him or her hostage. It's more than physiology. When a person is involved in sexual immorality, he's not just simply joining his body to another person. He's joining his entire being to that person. I heard a conversation or I heard about a conversation between a teenager and his grandfather. The young man said, gee, granddad, your generation didn't have all those social diseases. What did you wear to have safe sex? And the old grandfather, wise man, said, a wedding ring. <laughs> and that's the way God intended it to be. Immorality. It's everywhere. It's in the church. It's everywhere. Nobody's immune to the temptations. I told you he starts with the act and he moves down to the motive. Right under that's impurity or uncleanness. The word katharisa, we get a word catharsis or cleansing. The alpha negative is in front of it, which makes it mean filthiness or uncleanness. It's more of a general term than immorality going beyond the act to evil thoughts and intentions of the mind. It refers to a person whose mind, thoughts, and speech are saturated with moral filthiness. You probably know somebody like that. They can't speak without all kinds of filthiness coming out of their mouth. Their, their conversation is rarely without sexual innuendos. And Paul said, this behavior is just one step away from the act of immorality. So what does God say? What does God's word say? God says in Ephesians 5, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. The next two words go together, passion and evil desires. 
The word passion, pathos, refers to sexual passion set loose in the body. Evil desire speaks of lust in the mind. So perhaps one means the physical and the other is the mental side of the same vice. Matthew 5, 27, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now the word immorality, when I say that word, you think of one thing most of the time. Dorothy Sayers in a book entitled The Whimsical Christian, I want to quote this. Perhaps the saddest commentary on the way in which Christian doctrine has been taught in the last few centuries is the fact that to the majority of people, the word immorality has come to mean one thing and one thing only. A man may be greedy and selfish, spiteful, cruel, jealous and unjust, violent, brutal, covetous, unscrupulous and a liar, stubborn and arrogant, senseless, miserable and dead in every noble instinct and we're still ready to say of him that he is not an immoral man. I'm reminded of a young man who once said to me with perfect simplicity, I did not know there were seven deadly sins. Please tell me the names of the other six. And then, folks, there's this word out of place in there. You'll notice the next one is greed. What in the world does greed have to do with passion and evil desires and uh, immorality? What, what does all that have to do? Uncleanness. But you see, he says covetousness, which is idolatry. This word greed may seem out of place, but it's a progression that leads to immorality that begins with greed. Wait a minute, how do you know that? Well, greed comes from the false belief that anyone or anything other than God can satisfy our deepest needs. Greed is at the heart of sensual behavior. One writer put it this way, that's why so many middle-aged men who once were devoted to sensuality are now equally given to money. These sins have the same source. There are other references that mention greed in the same context as sexual or sensual sin. Romans 1, 24 to 32, especially verse 29, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, and Ephesians 5, 3. Because greed is the desire for more so that I can fulfill myself without regard for God. As an idolater, I put myself in the place of God. All sexual immorality has greed as its motive because it's based on personal gratification. I don't care about the other person. I just care about what I want. It's not on permanent love and commitment to the other person's good. And speaking of greed, you want to know why this prosperity gospel, I even hate to use that word, prosperity and gospel in the same word, but going around the country, you know, if you just do this, you're going to be wealthy, you just do this. Why do you think that's so prevalent? Because of greed. That's why. Covetousness is an obsession with having more. It might be an intense desire for more money or a better position or a different home or a finer car or someone else's spouse. It's no accident that the last of the Ten Commandments is is this. Look at all the other sins condemned in the Ten Commandments. Theft, adultery, murder, idolatry, and at the root of it is covetousness. 
Lucifer was cast out of heaven because of his desire for more. Eve ate the forbidden fruit because she wanted more. Lot's desire for more inheritance or a better land caused him to settle in Sodom. Jacob's desire for more inheritance caused him to cheat his brother Esau. Joseph's brother's desire for more attention from their father caused them to sell him into slavery. David's desire for more caused him to fall into adultery with Bathsheba. Solomon's desire for more wealth, power, and pleasure caused him to turn away from God. That's why greed's mentioned in there. We don't like to think of it. We think of greed as some miserly man like uh, Scrooge sitting around counting his money. But, But that's not what it is. So folks, I I tried to find some of the strongest terms to come up with this point. We are to aggressively disconnect. You you don't just lightly look over this. You have to say, you know what? This can ruin my life. Yeah, God will forgive you, but the consequences don't go away. Well, with that in mind... The next thing is you need to realize the approaching consequences of sexual sin. Look at verse six. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Now, wrath, we don't like to talk about God's wrath. It's the holiness of God stirred into activity against sin. Unbelievers are going to face the full force of God's eternal wrath on account of these things, as it says. We don't want to look at the wrath of God. I don't like to talk about the wrath of God. I'd rather talk about the love of God. But God is holy and just and will bring his wrath upon sin one day. He's waiting for more and more people to have their sin taken care of, and that's by coming to Christ. Now, as believers, we've been delivered from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. You're not going to face the wrath of God because God's wrath and God's love met at the cross and the sin was paid for. But folks, I want to tell you, sin, sin never brings blessing. And you may not be facing the wrath of God and you don't like to hear about it, but you know, Jesus talked a lot about it. The Bible's full of references to God's wrath and his judgment on sin. He doesn't hate people. He hates sin. Jesus spoke frequently about hell and judgment. He called it a place of outer darkness, of weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 25, 30. A place of torment and agony, Luke 16, 23. And a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, Mark 9, 48. The Bible often connects God's judgment with sexual sin and greed. God judged Sodom because of sexual immorality and greed. In Genesis 19, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Hebrews 13, 4 warns, let marriage be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Romans 18, toward the end of the tribulation time, you find Babylon reveling in sexual immorality and greed. 
read just before God's judgment falls. You don't think our nation is not right for this? When that's all that is around us anymore? And Paul is saying, you, you don't act this way anymore. You have Jesus, you have the resurrection power in you. You can put to death all of this stuff in your life. Stop it. And what Paul is saying is, you know what I'm talking about because you'll notice in verse seven. Now I'm about to give you some good news, so hang in there. It says in verse seven, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. The word walked and live indicates this was not just a one-time occurrence. It said that used to be the habitual way they lived. But you know what the good news is? It's past tense, which means it's been forgiven. Now, folks, I, I, let's just get it all out here on the table. There's not a soul in here or anybody watching online or on television. There's not anybody in here that is sinless. But I also want you to know that all sin, now let me be careful how I say this. In the eyes of God, God hates all sin. But not all sin is the same. So don't say, well, committing adultery is no worse than lying. Excuse me? Now, I know it's both sin. Y'all may go, what? Well, sin separates man from God. But I want to tell you, all sin's not the same because the consequences are different. And sexual sin has more consequences than most other sins do. It's all bad. I'm going to work myself into a hole here if I'm not careful because then I'll have y'all quoting and misquoting me later. God hates all sin. But don't compare sensual sin with lying. I guess it's still lying. Let's just rewind the tape and start over here. Paul is saying, don't participate in this anymore. You're better than that. You have the Lord Jesus in your life. And the good news is that it is in past tense. In fact, when Paul lists this list, makes this list in 1 Corinthians 6, he said, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. No matter how enslaved you may feel like you are to sin, sensual sin, sexual sin, you may feel like you're addicted, you can't get out, I want you to know that Jesus Jesus can set you free. He can deliver you. Temptations may still be there, but you'll have the power within you to overcome that or to put it to death, as he put it. 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all, Paul said. There's no one here beyond the reach of God's grace. Doesn't matter what you've done, God will forgive you. God will change your heart. I I wish he could take away all the consequences of sin. He didn't say he would do that. He just said, I'll forgive you. But the consequences still, still may be there. So 
I want to, I want to close by giving you some practical steps. I want you to activate deliberate precautions. Don't ever say it'll never happen to you because it can happen to anybody. So what do you do? Well, I've already mentioned to you that Jesus mentioned that this kind of sin begins in the mind. So the first thing you need to do is to protect your mind. Refuse to allow immoral thoughts to take residence. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So putting to death my earthly members with regard to immorality means forsaking and confessing any lustful thought the moment they occur. God, forgive me for my thoughts. Help deliver me from that. That's as far as it goes. And you move on. What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you looking at on your phone and on your iPads and on your television set and on your computers? Make yourself accountable to somebody. Make it where anybody can walk in anytime. Keep the door open. Make sure people can walk in anytime. You've got to do this, folks, or you're not going to be delivered from it. You are the only ones that can protect your mind. If a movie is rated R, now listen carefully. There are a few exceptions. The Passion of the Christ. It's rated R because of the violence and the crucifixion. I know there are some war movies because of the violence in the, in the movie. But more times than not, it's because of the sexual scenes in the movie. And isn't it interesting how you can remember a sexual scene in a movie several years later, but you can't remember the verses you're trying to memorize last week from the Bible. Protect your mind. You even got to be careful when you go to the, the news agencies because they got all these ads over here with all these provocative pictures. Well, guess what this and this, trying to get you to click on to that. Protect your mind. You've got to be radical. This won't go away on its own. And listen, if that's not bad enough, you'll be driving down the road and then there's some, some sign that'll you know, draw your attention to it. And, and ladies, I, I wish that you understood how visual men are. I'm not blaming you for anything. I just wish you understood some of the thoughts that men can have visually because some women refuse to wear enough clothes. I tried to say that as discreetly as I possibly could. The second thing, discontinue sinful, sensual activity in your life. If you don't understand what that means, write down these two words. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. If you're in an immoral relationship, stop it. If you're living with somebody, stop it. If you're having sex before marriage, stop it. If you're addicted to pornography, stop. 
Get it out. Get it out of your life. That's harsh. But I want to tell you, if you don't radically do something, your growth in the Lord is either going to stop, and some of you need to even take another look and go, if it doesn't bother you to have sexual immorality in your life, you need to take a look because the Holy Spirit is going to wear you out. Holy Spirit's going to say, this isn't what God wants. And folks, listen, God's not being a prude. God wants the best for you. But he just knows how damaging sexual sin can be. The Illinois Department of Natural Resources reports that more than 17,000 deer die each year being struck by automobiles on state highways in the state of Illinois. According to Paul Shelton, the wildlife director, the peak season is in the fall. You know why? Because the bucks are in rut. They got one thing on their mind, and they're not cautious anymore. Well, I hate to tell you this. Deer aren't the only ones being destroyed by preoccupation with sex. Listen to Jesus. I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in her heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. He's using metonymy again. Do you really think he wants you to pluck your eye out? No. Does he want you to cut your hand off? No. But he said it would be better for you to do that than to live and die without Jesus in your life. The third thing, visualize the consequences of immoral behavior. He's already said in verse six, it's because of these things the wrath of God is coming. You may not face the wrath of God because you're a Christian, but Hebrews 12, verse 6 says, there is a disciplining hand of God. And folks, I want to tell you something. You might be forgiven, but the consequences don't go away. Randy Alcorn wrote a book on heaven. He's famous for that one, but he also wrote a book on leadership. Listen to this sentence. I'm going to say it slow because it's got big words in it. Immorality is the cumulative product of small indulgences and minuscule compromises, the immediate consequences of which were at the time indiscernible. One more time. Immorality is the cumulative product of small indulgences and minuscule compromises, the immediate consequences of which were at the time indiscernible. Ah, oh, this isn't going to hurt this one time. This isn't going to hurt one time. Before you know it, all of these indiscernible consequences begin to add up. And the next thing you know, you need to visualize what you're going to throw away. You do. I have friends who've thrown it away. Years of ministry thrown away. 
families disrupted, thrown away. See, it's not nearly as glamorous when you start thinking about the stuff that, you know what, it may, feel, it may seem appealing, and I don't mean this to be crude, so I'm going to be careful. God gave us sex and marriage. It's a gift from him. But no matter how tempting or appealing it may look to you outside the bonds of God's perimeters, it ain't worth it. It's not. Look down the road. I see lives destroyed because of it. The last thing is to, be, to learn to be content with God's provision in your life. Greed is an obsession with having something that you just don't think you can have. It's based on the assumption that things or people can fill the God-shaped vacuum in our life. It also stems from the belief that somehow God has shortchanged me. If we only had more money, a different job, a different spouse, then we'd truly be satisfied. But that assumption leads us to pursue things outside of God's will for our lives and to fall in all kinds of sin. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. But those who desire, did you hear that word? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. God's given us plenty, hasn't he? If you came to church hungry, it was your fault this morning, probably. There may have been some that didn't have the means to eat. I want to give you one verse to remember, Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If God hasn't given it to you and you've been trying and trying and trying and he hasn't given it to you, maybe he thinks you don't need it. So folks, now that you've had this nice, uplifting sermon, <laughs> you can be thankful I have to do this again. <laughs> what do you do with this? Well, I'm not naive enough to know that this has fallen on deaf ears. So I want to remind you that God still loves you. He does. He ain't quit loving you one iota. And God will forgive you. But God also says, I'm going to forgive you, but I want you to stop it. That's called repentance. Stop it. Change. Do something radical. 
a radical change. Don't just feel bad till after lunch and be done with it. Make a change. What have I got to do? Lord, what can I do to make this right? If you're living with somebody and you're going to marry them, then I challenge couples, separate from one another until you get married. Honor the Lord. Drive a stake down, folks. Wherever you are, drive a stake down and say, you know what? I can't undo what's been done. And we're not standing here in condemnation of anybody. But you know what? On this day, I can drive down a stake and Lord, I'm going to be radical. I'm going to put to death some of this sin in my life. And I want to live for you. So help me, Lord. I don't know how I'm going to do all of this, but I want to honor you. Trust me, God will bless that and honor it some way. If you, don't, if you can't figure it all out, then step out in faith and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you here. Would you bow your heads with me? For those of you who don't know Jesus, if you will ask God right now to forgive you and turn from your sin, believe that Jesus died and rose again, you can be saved right now. For those of you who are saved, you've made some mistakes. It may not have been sexual sin, maybe something else. 1 John 1, 9 is your verse. If we confess our sin... He's continually faithful and continually just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, there are a lot of people chained up here within the sound of my voice. They may not be in this room. They may be watching online. They may be uh, watching on television later. And I pray that you would help those chains to fall off because of your forgiveness, because of their radical decision to stop. I pray for those that are addicted to pornography, that you might help them be delivered from that using that simple app, Overcome Porn. I pray for others that are in immoral relationships that they would be so convicted it won't be any, any desire, any, any more fun anymore. And Lord, help us to be gracious. None of us stand in condemnation today. None of us do. We're all sinners saved by your grace. We've all been delivered from sin. I just pray that Christians would take it so seriously. I pray for those that need a church home. I pray for those that need to be baptized. Whatever the decision is, Lord, would you guide people to you today? In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.